and welcome to Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. I'm your host, Sarah Sin, tackling horror movies and taking a deeper dive into them. Again, on the show, I don't just discuss what I love about horror movies. I like to bring in the aspect and perspective of horror and history, how horror movies tend to reflect society's fears. And since I am a psychology major, I like to bring this aspect and perspective in as well and see how the horror movie I'm focusing on reflects psychology or mental health in any way. So I started November off with a bang as I covered 2004 Saw, the light that ignited the term, quote, torture porn, a huge subgenre that exploded in the 2000s. And I do know that there's more to the Saw series than what I actually covered in my show. But I was trying to just see Saw as a standalone movie because when the movie actually came out, that's all we saw. Like there was no Amanda storyline. There wasn't more about Jigsaw except for the fact that he was a cancer patient of um, Dr. Gordon. There wasn't much more to it. As As the series went on and there was more movies, more is revealed. And I totally understand that. But when I was watching Saw, I just wanted to see the movie as it is. And um, that's where I was kind of getting my perspective of the movie and why I was talking about Amanda as just a victim, because at that time she was just a victim. She wasn't um, one of his helpers or anything. So, and we didn't know more of Jigsaw's story at the time. All we knew that he was a cancer patient. We didn't understand that he had like tried to kill himself and ended up, you know, surviving his attempted suicide. So I totally understand that there's more to the story. And I actually kind of want to go through the series at some point and see, you know, how each movie, you know, obviously reflects history, reflects mental health and psychology, and then see how they interconnect with one another. And that would be pretty cool to do. But each movie I watch is going to be a standalone. Like, I'm going to see the movie for what it is, not connecting it to the next movie. The last movie, you know, Jigsaw 3D, or I'm sorry, Saw 3D would be the one where I connect them all together. Um, But each movie as I watch would have to be a standalone and only connected to the previous movies because I don't want to talk about future movies because up until the movie I'd be focusing on, that's all the story we would know, if that makes any sense. Anyways, I'm going to move on. I think that the 2000s itself had many amazing horror movies that came out. And it was so, so it was really hard for me to choose like which movies I wanted to focus on and feature this month, which is why I, again, I'm going to plan on doing this horror history again, starting with, you know, the thirties and going through until probably I'd like to go through to the 2010s this time, because I did do the 2010s in my essay that I wrote. I just decided to stop at November because I really want to do like killer toys next month for Christmas or, you know, the month of Christmas. So, and then I was thinking, I was like, the two thousands was definitely the decade of torture porn and remakes. So I will be covering a remake this month. Um, obviously, one I've already gone over, or one I've already watched and done an episode on, because I want to do a comparison, which would be really fun. Because as you guys know, I like to do my little compare and contrast, you know, from the remake and the original. You know, I had a lot of fun doing Cat People, the one from the '40s and the one from the '80s, and especially had a lot of fun doing Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the '50s and the '70s. That was probably one of my favorite. Um, as of right now, that was probably my favorite um, remake and original that I had done is the 50s and the 70s version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers because there was so much they had in common, but there was also so much different between the two that it was so, that's all I can say. It was so much fun to do a compare and contrast between the two. So I'm definitely excited to pull another remake out and do a compare and contrast and see how, you know, what you know, how they're connected to one another or how they are similar and then see how they're different. Because, you know, when you make a remake, you still have to bring it into the time that it's made. So this one would be, you know, 2000s. So what's going on in the 2000s that it's reflecting on, but at the same time, staying true to the original. So 
you know, I guess that's really all I wanted to say before I move on. I don't really have much else to say <laughs> other than that the movie I'm covering is one that I absolutely love and I really don't understand that like why a lot of people dislike it. It's definitely one of those movies that you either love it or you hate it. And I absolutely love it, even the first time I ever saw it. And as we all know, I will always find something I like in every horror movie that I watch. I will always find something I enjoy in every single horror movie I watch. It's just how I am. You know, I just, I will always try and find something positive in every horror movie I watch, even if it's like one character, one kill, um, anything like that. Like, I just try to find the positive in every horror movie I watch. And this movie I like because it's very creepy and atmospheric. And I hate dolls. And my daughter has like five or six baby dolls that she loves to play with. And every single one of them creeps me out. So with that said, you probably have an idea of what horror movie I'm going to be covering next, which is 2007's Dead Silence, directed by James Wan, which is another reason why I chose this movie to do next is because he directed Saw, the one I did before. This was his follow-up movie, um, director, uh, follow-up movie he directed, Dead Silence. Starring Ryan Quantin as Jamie Ashen, Amber Valletta as Ella Ashen, Donnie Wahlberg as Detective Lipton, Michael Fairman as Henry Walker, Joan Henney as Marion Walker, Judith Roberts as Mary Shaw, and Bob Gunton as Edward Ashen. So for horror and history, this one definitely, um, I said, was like dealing with death, the grief and guilt we feel when we lose a loved one or we're dealing with death in general. It, a lot of it focuses on guilt and grief. You know, in a way, I want to say it's kind of like focuses on life after death. You know, that was a focus I remember in the 30s was that people were trying to figure out a way of life after death. And the escapism of some of those movies was seeing the, the quote, hope of life after death through, you know, either being a vampire, or being immortal or being resurrected by, you know, uh, like in The Mummy. So I felt like this one kind of focused on that, too, um, with the fact that Mary Shaw the ghost in our story can live through her dolls. Like she lives on as a ghost, but she can also live on through all her dolls. And she has 101 of um, these ventriloquist dummies. So definitely reflects on family secrets passed down quote, paying for the sins of the father, which is a line Jamie actually says. Um, I think it also reflects on the whole idea of like the um, vengeful mob. Is that the right word? I want to say, um, you know, mobs and, you know, rallying and that hive mind and seeking revenge and how when a mob is going after someone, they're run completely on emotions. There's no logic at all behind any of their feelings. It's pure emotion and very impulsive. So I think it definitely, and it's a very small scene, but I still think it reflects on that because if it wasn't for the mob, Mary Shaw would still be here. She wouldn't have die horribly and she wouldn't be the ghost or the vengeful ghost that she becomes so i think it definitely does have a little reflection on that whole mob mentality so psychology and mental health we got grief guilt of course lo uh, loss of a loved one a troubled childhood stressful relationships obsession phobias which i will get into family dynamics you know which is like family structures and the family system so those are just a few things that this movie, I think, goes over with um, psychology and mental health. And like I said, all these things I talk about with um, horror history and psychology and mental health are things I pick up in the movie as I'm watching it. And I always try my best to go over it if I have time. Um, I don't always go through everything I pick up on, and I apologize for that. But 
I do try my best to like look back at my list of like horror history, mental health and psychology. Okay, where did I find these little pieces and try to find, um, you know, scenes to go over and examples or metaphors and symbolism to give you, you know, an idea of like why I chose the ones I chose. So anyways, moving on. What is this movie about? Following the death of his wife, Jamie heads back to his hometown to search for answers due to the fact that his wife died shortly after a mysterious box containing a ventriloquist dummy arrived on his doorstep. Jamie believes his hometown's local ghost story of Mary Shaw is somehow linked to her death. As he starts to uncover the town's dirty secret and the truth about Mary Shaw, the ghost story seems more real rather than fiction. Will Jamie unravel the town's secret and find the answers he seeks? Or will he too become a victim of Mary Shaw? Moving on to the subgenre. This movie, I would definitely say, falls under the supernatural horror subgenre. This subgenre contains like ghosts, um, if they're ghost stories, the haunted houses, haunted dolls, and so on. It's, you know, ghosts and spirits. Um, this movie, I say, is in the subgenre because it features a vengeful spirit seeking revenge on those who have done her wrong and people who are involved in her death. The ghost in this movie also possesses and jumps from one of her ventriloquist dummies to another. So she bounces from doll to doll to doll, which is another aspect of the, this um, subgenre is that they can possess objects and they can jump from one to another or they can only possess the one. And then I was thinking about it and I was like, I don't think I've actually ever gone over this subgenre. I don't think I've actually featured this subgenre yet. Um, not that I can remember. I might have waved when I first started. So again, I'm going to go over the definition. So supernatural horror. This subgenre features the supernatural and the paranormal, typically in the form of ghosts and spirits. These supernatural beings may inhabit a haunted house or be attached to a person or have the ability to possess objects such as dolls or mirrors. These ghosts and spirits tend to be out for revenge, have unfinished business, or may be trying to warn the living of potential danger. So first off, before I wanted to like really go over like the aspects that I wanted to really talk about for this episode, um, one of the things I was thinking about was like, I really don't understand all the hate around this movie. Like a lot of people don't like this movie and that's fine. You're totally allowed to have your opinion. I'm not saying don't have an opinion. Don't dislike the movie. I'm just always looking at the movies and saying why, like some horror movies that I enjoy, I can definitely see why people dislike them. You know, I'm watching and I'm like, yeah, I can see why, like that makes sense. Like, you know, it's a little slow or the characters aren't very well developed or the kills aren't very good. So I can understand with a lot of movies why people dislike them. I just, like I said, I always try to find at least one aspect of the movie I enjoy no matter what. But this one I keep thinking is like, I really don't understand why people dislike it. Like this was James Wan's follow up to Saw. And then I was thinking like, maybe that's the problem. Like people really wanted to see another, another Saw like movie, you know? And that's something that I also think about when I'm watching like sequels, prequels, or, you know, the next movie a director does is that, you know, I feel like, you know, people maybe, I don't know. It, it's hard to explain. Like, I remember talking about this on another person's podcast and I was like, it's like, on the one hand, people were expecting another Saw-like movie or Saw-esque movie by James Wan. And that's not what this movie's about at all. This is not a Saw movie. This is not a torture porn. This is a ghost story. This is um, a movie that really deals with death and a family structure falling apart. 
So maybe that's why some people don't like it because that's what they wanted was they wanted to see another Saw movie because when James Wan came out with Saw, I mean, it just exploded and it was an amazing movie and he did a fantastic job that people were expecting another one of those. So on the one hand, people going in and expecting that and not getting it were probably disappointed and I could definitely understand why they were disappointed. Like it is disappointing to expect something of a movie and then not get the movie you were expecting. So I feel like that might be part of it. But this is something I think about in general, like with sequels and stuff, is that people are either like, you know, um, why are they making the same movie? It's the same movie over and over again. It's like they cut and paste the last movie and just put it in the next movie. You know, this is the same thing over and over again. We need something different. Then on the other hand, you have movies that tried to do something different, such as Halloween 3 or Jason 5, The New Beginning you know, they wanted to do something different. And then people complained about that because it was too different. They didn't get, you know, what they wanted. Where's Jason? Where's Michael Myers? You know, this is not the movie we wanted to see. So I feel like sometimes it's like, it's very hard to, you know, um, make everyone happy and you're not going to make everyone happy. You know, that's just kind of like how life is. It's just, sorry, it's just how it is. So I definitely get it. But it's one of those things I always think about is like, it's on the one hand, people, want to see the same movie over and over again but some people don't so those people are going to be disappointed on the other hand people want to see something different something new but the people who don't want to see something new they enjoyed the you know the last movie that's what they want they're the ones who are going to be disappointed at that point so that that makes sense like i think that's maybe for me what i was seeing the biggest reason why people disliked the movie was because it wasn't what they expected it to be and some of the reviews I was reading, like, that's kind of where, like, the dislike came from is that they didn't, they they went in expecting a Saw kind of, like, movie, and what they got was a ghost story. So I think just at that time, your expectations are kind of shattered, and it's kind of hard to, like, enjoy a movie when, you know, your expectations are shattered at that point. And that's happened to me before, you know, you go in thinking you want to see a movie, and then... It doesn't happen. So I, I get it. But like I said, for me, it was very hard to see why people disliked it because I just think it's a really good movie. I like the fact that James Wan didn't just take Saw and then do it, you know, differently, but still was a Saw-like movie. I think he did a really good job expanding and, you know, showing how much he really understands horror movies by shifting from one subgenre, which was torture porn, at the time, they didn't coin the term, but it was basically splatter, which was like in the 70s, and then moved on to a supernatural horror subgenre. And he really did, I think he did a really good job. So that's, with that said, you know, sorry, I'm always digressing. With that said, I think the movie is well shot. It's atmospheric. It's creepy. It's like a creepy haunted town movie. There's a lot going on other than, I think, a ghost possessing, uh, a ghost possessing dolls. And I just gotta say, the dolls in this movie is really creepy. They just completely creeped me out the entire time. Again, sorry, I'm kind of rambling on and on, and I apologize for that. So let me move on to, like, the different things I wanted to talk about that I really picked up on this movie. So the first thing I wanted to talk about is actually the color scheme in this movie. And it's kind of like, um, if you ever heard the episode for Dark Was the Night, this movie, too, is shot in, like, grays and blues, like, very gloomy-looking shots and it definitely, for me, it's representing the guilt and grief our protagonist, Jamie, is feeling, you know. And there's even, like, a gloom over his hometown of Raven's Fair. Businesses are going out of business, you know, they're closed, you know, and many people have died due to the curse of Mary Shaw. There's a lot of 
sadness within his hometown. And then he's dealing with the grief and the guilt of losing his wife. So the movie is shot in, a, like I said, a very gloomy, like gray and blue uh, color palette. And I really enjoyed that because it definitely is representing um, the feelings and the emotions that people are going through within this town and especially our protagonist, Jamie. But then at the same time, there's these little like splotches of red that I noticed. Like that's the one thing I also picked up. So not only is it shot in these like very gloomy grays and blues, but here and there there's um, these splashes of red. So you have like Jamie's car, his car is bright red. You have the glowing red neon sign right outside Jamie's hotel window that, you know, flashes and blinks. And even um, the doll, the main doll, Billy, has like a red bow tie and a red handkerchief in his little pocket. So those are the colors, the color I noticed that was really like popping out here and there against the blues and grays. And red is definitely a big metaphor. You know, it's a scene, and I've talked about this again before in other movies, I think especially the Mask of Red Death and the Company of Wolves. I noticed red was very a very big representation in both those movies. And red represents anger and passion and love, death, blood, and even wrath, like the feeling of wrath. So this like red splash of color, I think can be a metaphor for like the love Jamie has for his wife, yet the anger he's feeling over her death because he knows she was murdered and no one's believing him. And I think it can also be like a metaphor for the passion Mary Shaw felt for her dolls, which was borderline. Well, I think it was just pure obsession, but it can be a metaphor for the passion Mary Shaw felt for her dolls, yet it can also be a metaphor for the wrath she feels towards those who killed her. So red can be a metaphor for death too, which is in blood, which is throughout the whole movie. You know, there's a lot of death going on in this movie and there's a lot of blood, which is again, another <laughs> um, color red being splashed on the screen. So that's just something I did notice at first was the color scheme. And it reminded me of Dark Was the Night, which is another good movie. If you haven't seen Dark Was the Night, please watch it. It's such a great movie. And that's another one that's shot in grays and blues with this gloom, like this depressed feeling. And this movie's definitely shot in that representing a lot. Like it's representing Jamie's feelings, his emotions, what he's going through, and then his his hometown of Raven's Fair, what they're all going through, that whole town in general is feeling. And then there's these splashes of red here and there that I think represent um, the other emotions that are being felt, which is a lot of like passion and love. Cause like I said, Jamie absolutely loved his wife, you know, Mary Shaw loved her dolls, you know, there's wrath and anger. Jamie's angry with not only the death of his wife, but he's angry with his father. Mary Shaw is filled with anger. Her, she's a vengeful spirit, anger, um, and feeling wrath against those who killed her. So I definitely see why red was used instead of any other color to pop out on the screen. So moving on. Another aspect I noticed is the whole, well, the whole meaning of the title, Dead Silence. Throughout the whole movie, we are seeing these scenes where the ambiance sound just goes silent. Like there's no sound at all. The only sound we really hear on the screen is from the character itself being focused on. So like you can hear them breathing, you can hear them walking, but any other sound that should be going on is completely silent. So one example is actually in the beginning of the movie, Lisa, Jamie's wife, she sends Jamie to go get Chinese food. Um, she's at home. This is after Billy the doll shows up mysteriously on the doorstep. 
she decides to take Billy, put him on the bed, and she wants to scare Jamie. And um, she hides him under the covers, and she's all, like, giggly, like, oh, I'm going to scare him. And then um, eventually, as she's walking through the apartment, like, the music that's playing stops. She had put a tea kettle on the um, stove, and it's whistling. The whistling stops. And, like, she just kind of looks around, and there's no sound at all. Just, again, dead silence. And then Lisa is killed. Then there's another moment where Jamie is in his hotel room. He's trying to fall asleep. You can hear like the humming of the neon sign as it flashes. Um, and then there's like dripping water from the bathroom sink. And again, all those sounds start to go silent. And again, it's dead silence. And that's when you see like Billy's eyes slowly move towards looking at Jamie. Jamie wakes up notices something's wrong and then he sees like Mary Shaw's ghost in the corner when he turns on the light she's gone and then there's another scene where Henry the mortician um he hears his wife Marion um she's crying in the crawl space he goes in to look for her um he doesn't find her in there he um as he's trying to turn around and go back the door to the crawl space closes on him and that's when all the sound stops and he notices there's no sound anymore. All you can hear is like him breathing. And again, it's dead silence. And then that's when um, we see a little bit of the ghost of Mary Shaw basically hunting Henry. And then Henry screams and she kills him. There's another scene, of course. <laughs> um, the detective and Jamie are in Mary Shaw's like secret room right after they find the body of Michael Ashen after he's been turned into a marionette doll. And everything kind of starts to go silent. And, like, even the detective is noticing, like, what's going on? And Jamie even states, this is how it starts. Like, he noticed that danger's coming when everything goes silent. So this whole idea of, like, silence before danger made me think. Um, I remember talking about this in the, when I covered the movie Howl. Um, when you live in the country, and probably other places too, but especially if, like, you go camping or if you're ever in the woods a lot or you just live in a country setting like I do, when the forest goes silent, danger is near, a predator is near. That's when you need to worry. The forest is always noisy during the day or night. No matter what, there is noise. You can hear like in Vermont at night, you hear the peepers in the summer. Um, and during the day, you hear the rustling of leaves. You can hear animals going through the woods. You can hear the noises they make, you know. But when it goes silent, danger is near. So I really um like that about this movie was that it played on that whole fear of like when there's no noise something bad is about to happen that's when you need to worry is when things go silent so danger is near when sound is gone so i was for me you know it brought me back to the whole idea of like the forest goes silent that's when you need to leave and you need to run away it was because that's when danger's near that's when something bad's gonna happen and this movie totally plays on that like when it goes silent like jamie said this is how it starts that's when mary shaw's coming that's when mary shaw's gonna kill you that's when she's gonna strike when she takes away all the sound so it was pretty cool for me to like that was something i picked up on you know i mean people probably picked up on that because you know it goes silent but my whole thing went back to you know when the forest goes silent danger is near so when the movie goes silent or when things go silent in the movie, Mary Shaw is near. So for me, that was just pretty cool. Like, that's kind of like the advantage. It was like no sound is the advantage for Mary Shaw. Like she uses that lack of sound 
um, to do her killing. So for me, that was just kind of cool. So another thing I started picking up on in this movie, like different aspects of this movie, was how I think it's a big um, representation or metaphor or symbolic of people's phobias or phobias in general. So a lot of people are afraid of the unknown. They even develop phobias of things, objects, situations, things they can't control, or even things they've never experienced, they can develop a phobia. I hate spiders. Absolutely hate spiders. Arachnophobia. I hate balloons. Like I actually have a very, people think this is so weird, but I have this huge fear of balloons. I hate when people blow them up. I hate when someone uses a helium machine to blow them up. I hate when people touch them, the sound it makes. I hate when they pop. Like it's called globophobia. I absolutely hate, hate balloons and have a huge, huge fear of them to the point. I won't even let my daughter have a balloon in the house because I just can't. It, it literally, I just sit there in a big ball of anxiety. So should I be afraid of balloons? No, that makes absolutely no sense. But I have this genuine fear of them, a genuine phobia of them. So that's just an example of a phobia. So you know, I was thinking of this with the phobias in this movie. It's like the whole idea of like the lack of sound before danger strikes. Again, this is playing on people's fears and phobias. And I think in the movie in general is playing on a lot of different fears and phobias. You know, there's a phobia um, involving the dark, people who are afraid of the dark. I'm going to say this wrong. I think it's called nyctophobia. People um, have a phobia of the silence, of silence, like actual silence. Sedatophobia. There are people who are scared of the unknown, xenophobia. And of course, there's a fear of dolls, a phobia of dolls called pediophobia. And all these phobias are definitely represented in the movie, in my, obviously in my opinion, because there's a lot of unknown in the movie. Like people, you know, they're scared of the unknown. And of course, there's those creepy dolls throughout the whole movie. And then there's the whole idea of the dark. There's a lot of darkness in nighttime. And then there's, of course, a lot of silence. So I think all these phobias and other ones, these are just the ones I picked up on to, to uh, talk about. I think these are represented a lot in this movie. And a lot of parts of this movie can be a metaphor for phobias in general, especially the phobias I just talked about, because it plays a lot on them. So that was just something kind of interesting for me to look at and kind of pick up on was. I was thinking about it. I forgot what scene it was. There was some scene that was like, oh, someone was afraid. I think it was the first time it went silent or maybe the second time it went silent in the movie. I kept thinking like, man, if someone is scared of the silence, of like silence, this would be really freaky for them. And that's when I started picking up on phobias. And I was like, huh. And then I, the something I kept in the back of my mind was like, phobias. Okay. And as I'm watching the movie more and more, I'm like, okay, I think this movie definitely plays on phobias in general and could be a big representation and, or a metaphor for phobias in general, especially the ones um, I talked about because those are the ones really represented in the movie. So I'm going to move on. The next thing I'd like to go over is actually the tale of Mary Shaw. Like, uh, I guess the antagonist of the movie, she's the ghost, she's the vengeful ghost, she's out for revenge, um, and she's the one that plays the town of Raven's Fair. So first of all, there's a rhyme or children's rhyme, nursery rhyme, that all the children of Raven's Fair learn. Beware the stare of Mary Shaw. She had no children, only dolls. And if you see her in your dreams, be sure you never, ever scream or she'll rip your tongue out at the scene. So this is something that all the people in Jamie's hometown 
new. They teach the kids this rhyme to scare them. Um, I don't know why they use it to scare them. Maybe so they don't do anything bad. But, you know, it's just this rhyme that they all know throughout the movie is that, and a lot of people say it, and it's always like the first line they always say, beware the stare of Mary Shaw. She had no children, only dolls. So it's a ghost story um, that kids are told at Raven's Fair, but it ends up being something true because a lot of the townspeople knew the town's dirty secret. So Mary Shaw herself was a performer back in the day. She was a ventriloquist and she had like 101 puppets, but it's implied that she mainly used Billy, um, Billy the puppet, the one that showed up on Jamie's doorstep. And we eventually learn um, a little more of her tale from Henry um, and then kind of like the reason why she's a vengeful spirit a little bit. Um, and there's more to it. Like her, his dad talks more about it. So it's like you learn a little bit from Henry and then you learn a little bit from Edward, Jamie's dad. So um, I'm going to go over Henry's scene first and then I'll go over Edward's scene. So Jamie goes to Henry's to talk to his wife, Marion, and he brings Billy the puppet with him. Jamie, friend of yours, shows Billy to Marion. You said Mary Shaw killed my wife. Why would you say that? Marion, Marion, please. Marion, shh, shh, there, I know. Jamie, what do you know about Mary Shaw? Marion, I didn't say anything. I, I, and then Henry shows up, sees Jamie holding Billy the doll and kind of um, tells Marion to go away. Henry, you're, you're not supposed to have that. Where did you get that? Jamie, maybe you can tell me. Henry, it's hers. Jamie, who? Mary Shaw's? Henry, we don't say her name around here. Jamie, you don't say her name? Well, why don't you try, huh? It might help me find out who killed my wife. Henry, there are things you remember, and there are things you can't forget, like the look on that woman's face when she died. Her name was Mary Shaw, the ventriloquist who lost her voice. Back when I was a boy, those were the glory days of Raven's Fair, and the town built itself a grand old theater the Gwinnell Theater, out on Lost Lake. I only ever went there once. And then it goes to a flashback. Mary Shaw's performing. She opens her case. Mary Shaw. I'm just going to say Mary. Where is Billy? Billy! Where are you, Billy? Billy, you won't find me, mother. Mary, I knew you were hiding out there. You there. And she points to young Henry. Could you check under your seat for me? Henry goes under the seat and goes, He's here! Mary, would you mind bringing him to me? Henry does. Good boy. Then they start doing their act, you know, Mary Shaw, the ventriloquist with her dummy Billy. Um, and then comes a heckler within the crowd. And his name is Michael Ashen. Michael, I can see your lips moving. What? Mary, who said that? Michael, I did. I can see it. Her lips are moving. Mary, what do you say to that, Billy? Young Michael doesn't think you're a real person. Billy, what do you mean, mother? Mary, he thinks you're a dummy and that I'm doing your voice for you. Billy, but that can't be true. There's no way you'd give me all the good lines. Mary, forget about him, Billy. There will always be doubters. Billy, I don't want to forget, mother. I think we should show this boy just how real I am. I'm just as real as him. Mary, no, I'm afraid we must go on with the show. Billy, no, I'm as real as you are and I'll show you. Mary, leave him alone, Billy. Billy, I'll show him what it's like, mother. Mary, listen to me. That's enough. Billy, I'm as real as you. Bring him up here. Mary, no more. And then she looks over because everyone starts clapping because the voices are actually overlapping. I just 
obviously I don't have the ability to throw my voice. So they're overlapping the audience claps. And then Mary goes and looks over at Mike and says, now who's the dummy? And then Henry goes on and says, some weeks later, that disbelieving little boy went missing, gone without a trace. But I always thought that Mary Shaw played some role in it. And not long after that, she was murdered. Jamie, who killed her? Henry, no one ever found out. In her will, Mary stated that her dummies were to be buried with her, her, her children, as she called them, all 101 of them. And then Henry talks a little bit about like um, his father, because he takes over the, um, the funeral home after his dad, but his dad was the one who did, uh, took care of Mary Shaw and how in her will, she wanted to be turned into a doll herself. And he tells a little bit of that story. And then he goes on and says, ever since she was buried, Raven's Fair has been plagued by death. Families murdered. They were found without their tongues. Posed in family portraits. Your wife is the last. And then at another point later on, Jamie goes to his father's for answers. This is after Henry was killed in the crawl space. But he goes to his dad because he feels like his dad knows something that he's not telling him. Jamie, I didn't come here to eat. I came to talk about Mary Shaw. You lied to me. Edward, no, I didn't. Sit down. Jamie, no, I want the truth. What does Michael Ashton and our family have to do with Mary Shaw? Edward, fine. When he was a boy, your great uncle Michael Ashton vanished without a trace. For our family, there was only ever one suspect, Mary Shaw. So they dealt their own justice. They forced her to scream, then cut out her tongue. Jamie, our family killed her? Edward, along with others from Ravens Fair. But she didn't stay dead. She came back and took her revenge. One by one, each of the men involved were killed. Their tongues ripped out. And then the same thing happened to their wives and then their children and their children's children. All these years, you've resented me for sending you away, but I did it to distance you from this curse. Jamie, distance? Well, it found Lisa. Edward, Lisa's death made me realize we can't run from our fate. Spirits have long memories. She'll come for us in the end. Jamie, I'm paying for the sins of my fathers. And then you go on and you think, well, I mean, he explains, Edward explains like why um, Lisa was killed because she's um, the wife of Jamie. But still, like, why did she kill Lisa? Um, besides being the wife of Jamie, and you find out, because um, Jamie goes, this is towards the end, Jamie goes to Mary Shaw's secret room again, or goes to secret room, finds the marionette of Michael Ashton, and then he talks to her ghost, and she flat out says, you weren't the last Ashton. The last Ashton was inside her. So she killed Lisa because she was pregnant with Jamie's child. So that's why she killed him. But this was my question. And I'm sorry. I'm, you know, I, I do take a deeper dive into these movies. But why did she kill Michael Ashton? Like, that was my whole thing. It's like, the boy who disrupted her show, you know, he heckled her. Um, but she still made a fool of him. Because as her and Billy are arguing and overlapping over one another, the audience loved the show and they clapped for her. They didn't doubt her. You know, no one doubted her. So why did she kill him? It's not like him questioning her or saying, like, I see your lips moving made people stop watching the show um, or made people stop going. They still enjoyed the show. They still believed her. They still, like I said, they still enjoy the show. Yet she kidnaps and murders this boy. So when the mob comes for her and kills her, she wasn't an innocent person. So, like, why seek revenge against those who killed her? You know, she even says at one point to silence all those who silence me. When, in actuality, she was in the wrong. 
you know, they killed her because they suspected her of murder. No, they didn't know if it was true, but it was true. Mary Shaw did kidnap this boy and then did kill him. And then the mob took the revenge. And this reminds me a lot of like Freddy Krueger, you know, in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Like he was a child murderer. The parents killed him to seek revenge, you know, against him because he was murdering children and he was set free. So he seeks revenge against those people by killing their children. You know, he wasn't innocent. He wasn't falsely accused. He did murder these children. You know, he was guilty. So was Mary Shaw. She wasn't falsely accused. She was guilty. And I will say, this is kind of like my only critique, I guess, of the movie, or my only like little criticism of the movie, is that I think it would have made more of an impact if she actually was innocent. Like, instead of Jamie finding Michael's body in Mary Shaw's secret room as a marionette, he found him in the lake, like at the bottom of the lake, that he had gone to Mary Shaw's place and he accidentally drowned in the lake, you know, Lost Lake. And then, you know, he, of course, so he drowns in the lake, you know, people falsely accuse her of kidnapping him and murdering him because he goes, he vanishes without a trace, thinking she's guilty when she's actually innocent. So then to me, that makes more sense of the vengeful spirit and her seeking revenge is because she was falsely accused and killed for a murder she didn't actually commit. So that, like I said, that's my only kind of criticism of it is like, I think it would have made more of an impact if she was actually an innocent person. And like I said, Michael Ashton drowned in the lake and then she was accused of the murder. They killed her, which makes more sense for her to seek revenge against those who killed her and to silence all those who silenced her because she was an innocent woman being killed for a murder that didn't actually happen. It was an accident that she probably didn't even know about. Instead, she did kidnap the boy. She wasn't innocent. She did murder him. You know, the town did seek their revenge and it makes sense why they sought revenge was because she actually did kill this kid. So to me, like I said, that was the only thing that I kind of was like, eh, that's my only criticism about the movie is that I think it would have been better if she was actually innocent, you know? So, so then of course I'm thinking about it more and I go, you know, the boy did heckle her, but it didn't stop the performance from happening. It didn't stop the audience from liking her. They still enjoyed her. So why actually kill him? Like what happened to make her actually, you know, go out, kidnap the boy and kill him. So then I think, well, the only thing I can really think of is narcissistic personality disorder. So, which is again, one of the personality disorders that I enjoy learning about, like same as antisocial personality disorder. But I thought narcissistic personality disorder, because although she did show the boy how great she really was, you know, the audience still loving her. I think in the end, she was ultimately embarrassed, you know, by the boy calling her out and downing her. Like, and being, um, and being a narcissist, you know, you're full of pride. You think you're better than everyone. You think the world revolves around you. Like you have a, you know, a big ego and this inflated self-importance. So for her, I think, like I said, being a narcissist, her pride and ego were kind of battered by someone who in her eyes made a fool of her and she needed to make a fool of him, you know, make a fool of the boy. 
and she did by killing him and turning him into one of her puppets. So that was the only thing I could really think of, you know, as to why Mary Shaw would actually kill the boy was because her pride and ego were bruised by the fact that he doubted her within, you know, in the middle of her show and being a narcissist, that is something that would really like upset someone by how dare you make a fool of me? How dare you say I'm wrong? How dare you make these people even doubt me? I'm going to show you who the fool really is by turning you into one of my dolls. So that was the only thing I could really think of. So, I mean, again, I'm probably, you know, not, not that I'm probably wrong, but you know, I do take a deeper dive into these things and I probably see things that maybe aren't there, but they're things that I, I pick up on and that I'm noticing representations and reflections and just, you know, metaphors and symbolism throughout the movie. So that was the only thing I could really think of as to why she would have killed the boy was that maybe she suffered from narcissistic, uh, narcissistic personality disorder and her pride and ego were bruised when he heckled her. Therefore, she had to take care of the problem by murdering the boy. So, but I did want to say, besides that one little like criticism I have about the movie, I do still love the movie as a whole. Like I really, I really enjoy this movie. And I remember when I first saw it, I was completely creeped out by the movie. Like I said, dolls are freaky in general. And then to have these killer ventriloquist dolls and dolls in general are like, they're creepy. I'm sorry. The ventriloquist ones I think are even creepier because they, they have more human aspects because their eyes can move and their jaw can move up and down. And, you know, people, you know, use their voice to talk for them. So they have a more human-like quality, more realism about them, which makes them creepier in my opinion, which is what makes this movie, to me, scarier, is the whole idea that it uses ventriloquist dummies rather than a regular doll. So to me, that was the scarier aspect, you know, about the movie was they use a different type of doll in this movie. But I still love the movie as a whole. I still think it's a very good movie. I think James Wan did a wonderful job. There's a lot about this movie. Again, it's one of those movies if you strip away the top layer of the ghost story of Mary Shaw and really dig deep into the movie, there's a lot more going on within the movie. Not just Mary Shaw killing people. There's a whole idea of her revenge and like why there's a whole story behind it. There's the whole idea of like the dynamics in um, Jamie's family. Like he absolutely despises his dad at one point in the earlier in the movie, when he first goes home and sees his new, the new wife of his father, you know, he's even like, you'll be painted out of one of these pictures eventually soon too, you know, because his dad is remarried and remarried and he doesn't like his father. Of course you find out why later on is that, you know, his father knew about this curse and wanted to distance Jamie from it and try to save him. So he sent him away, but still this movie has a lot going on for it. Like I said, through the color schemes and what it can represent. Like I said, the whole Jamie's whole family structure is completely a big part of this movie and a big aspect of this movie that it represents. And then of course there's Mary Shaw and her story. And again, I said, you know, I think a lot of this movie plays on phobias and can be a metaphor and very symbolic of phobias in general, because, you know, it deals with a lot of things people are afraid of within the movie. So again, I love this movie, even though I have a little bit of a criticism for it, I still enjoy this movie as a whole. I still think there's a lot more to it than what's on the surface. You have to peel back, like I said, with Castle Freak, you have to peel back the layers to really see what's going on in this movie and see it as a whole. So this is another movie and horror movies in general like that. You have to peel back these layers and really focus and really 
take a deep dive into them to really see what they're really all about. And that's what makes them so wonderful for me to watch. Even if I've seen them before, I love seeing them from this new perspective of like really peeling back the layers and they're still enjoyable for me. Like I still enjoy them, you know, even though I'm seeing them from a completely new perspective. So that was just, I just wanted to say that really quick. So I'm going to move on to my reviews. Slashfilm.com says, Billy is bar none the scariest Wannaverse doll. Annabelle has zero creep value with her sunken eyes and tiny mouth. Billy's definition is more human, smooth head and icy emotive facial expression. Every time his mouth goes agape, his little ventriloquism jaw popping open is a heart-stopping moment. Even more so, when Billy sits shotgun in Jamie's car and his eyes fixate ever so slowly on the driver, Juan's lens is positioned where we see Jamie's unaware peripheral peripheral and Billy all buckled in start showing signs of life. Gray Review says, Dead Silence is not just another horror movie about a revenge-seeking possessed doll coming to life and killing the people around it. In reality, its premise is much more than that. The film touches other aspects of life, such as family dynamics and even pride, which was the sole reason why Mary Shaw murdered that little boy who called her out during her live performance. Her bruised ego getting the best of her, and in the end, it hit her right back. See? This review um, definitely <laughs> says what I said. Narcissistic personality disorder. She was full of pride and her ego was bruised. Therefore, that's why she killed the boy. So I'm like, that's what I like about reviews is that sometimes they justify what I'm saying. Sometimes they don't. Um, I don't read my the reviews anymore before I watch the show because I used to. And then I didn't like reading them before because then I felt like I wasn't picking anything out of the movies. Like I was just going off the reviews. So I, I go through... And I go, one, two, three, those are reviews I'm going to read later. And then I watch the movie, take my notes, and then I um, read the reviews. Sometimes I go through and read more because if I don't find anything in the reviews I really want to talk about, I don't use them, I find more. But it's really fun when I find reviews that pick up on the little things I pick up on. So that's kind of fun. So um, like I said, the reviews, I had to stop reading them before I watched the movie because I just felt like I wasn't doing the work, if that makes any sense. I know it may sound stupid, but I just really felt like I wasn't doing the work that needed to be done for the movie to take my deep dive. Anyways, I'm going to move on. So overall, this movie is a creepy, ominous ghost story that that keeps you on the edge of your seat with every jump scare in every moment of pure silence. Dolls in general are creepy and scary, let alone ventriloquist dummies with their moving eyes back and forth and jaw moving up and down, giving them a real human feel, just giving them a real human feel, very human-like, makes them extra creepy enough, like just ugh, makes them extra creepy enough to give you nightmares, pretty much. I think James Wan did a wonderful job as a follow-up, you know, this movie being a follow-up to Saw. People were looking for another Saw-esque movie, but that's what Saw 2 was for, not Dead Silence. This movie was not a torture porn movie or a torture porn subgenre. Subgenre. This movie was completely different, and that's what I love about it. He could have cut and pasted another Saw movie, you know, being devoid of all originality. Instead, he went to the supernatural route, you know, supernatural horror subgenre, giving us a terrifying ghost story with freaky dolls. So if you have a phobia of dolls, this is not the movie for you. This movie, to me, is original, showing just how brilliant James, you know, James Wan is, not only in his directing, and but just how much he understands the horror genre in general. If you have not seen this movie, you should. But understand it's not a, another Saw movie. It's something else 
entirely and it but it's worth watching it really is if you haven't seen it i say watch it just with a completely different perspective it's a ghost story it's a supernatural ghost story with a lot of elements underneath it um making this movie wonderful in my opinion and if you're not a fan please give it another shot if you peel back the layers and take a deeper look into the movie you will see just how wonderful and scary this movie truly is like i always say you know i will say one thing before i finish but there have been movies in the past that I did not like as horror movies I thought they were dumb or I thought they were stupid or I thought they weren't scary but giving them a second view and just watching them for what they were and not I don't know not expecting much out of them I ended up liking them liking them some of them I ended up loving because I just watched it from a different perspective and I'm not even saying from a psychological perspective because these are movies I remember seeing as a kid being like this is dumb and then watching them in my 20s going wow I actually really like this movie you know I can see why people enjoy it why I didn't like it I don't understand so that's what I'm saying when I say if you didn't like this movie the first time around give it another shot peel back some of the layers of what you're seeing on top and really take a deep dive into it and really see what the movie as a whole is about so I'm going to wrap it up for today. Thank you for joining me here on Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. Again, I'm your host, Sarah Sin. Thank you for sticking around. I'm going to discuss horror history, psychology, and mental health within horror movies. Hope you enjoy the show. Again, thank you for listening. And I just want to remind everybody that there's a horror movie out there for everyone to enjoy. So thank you.